giving people time off. Mm -hmm. That's not what hybrid is. Mm -hmm. Before COVID, I was working from home this time around having my business. I've never liked it, Mm -hmm. but I've adapted to it. But you're working all the time. This brings up the, the new thing of where are the boundaries for work and home? Are you in a leadership role trying to figure out how to convince others to change their mind? Have you ever wondered why is leading and influencing others so darn hard? Are you looking for practical answers to these two vital questions? If so, welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I'm your host, Denise Cooper, and I am a storyteller. I interview thought leaders and people just like you who are learning and practicing the art and expanding on the science of leadership. Listen as my guests and I talk about what it takes to be a remarkable leader in the 21st century. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to everyone who hears the sound of my voice. I know I say the same thing every week. I know by now you are just so delighted to be part of my podcast where I bring in some of the top thought leaders and a whole lot of ranges dealing with employee relations, talent, leadership, what's happening in the workplace, and particularly how can we build more inclusive, high-performing, diverse companies in general. My guest today is Debbie Snow Walsh, and this is going to be interesting because I've told you before that I've got a continuous podcast with Pam Brooks. Debbie is going to be my other partner, and Debbie is a builder of organizations and talent. She focused on DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion long before it became a trend. In fact, that is how I met her. And I'm not going to tell you when, because I only admit to 25 years, because everything else is irrelevant before then. That's where I met her. And we have developed a deep, long passion and friendship that has spanned decades. She is passionate about making sure that companies have the right talent and in the right roles. She has been both inside and out. So she's been an executive search, owning her own firm, Debbie Snow Walsh, which is a talent organization out of Chicago. She has worked with the big companies from AXA Equitable to Gap to Pfizer to JP Morgan Chase and Prudentials, among a host of other companies that she has worked with, both inside and out. She focuses on talent, the acquisition, development, management, and assimilation experience and retention. Her expertise is in consulting with companies on their internal policies and practices to make them efficient executive search and executive coaching. She has been involved with what used to be the Human Resources Planning Society, which is now part of SHRM, Society for Human Resource People. She was part of the original CREATE team, which was a think tank that envisioned what HR was going to be over the next five to 10 years. Currently, she has just decided to go back inside and has accepted a role as the head of talent for a company called Brown and Brown Insurance Companies. We'll talk a little bit about what that means and what they do. But more importantly, I just want to bring my best friend and thought partner and coach and Oh, just all around great person. Debbie, what's up? Hi, hi, you. I'm so glad to be here and be part of this podcast. You know, we did one, I don't know, a couple of years ago, had a great time doing it. And I'm just so glad to be on the continuum with you. I was thinking as you were talking and introducing me that our 
friendship and our professional relationship has developed that if I call you and you see me pop up on your phone or you call me or there's a text that comes from one of us, we usually drop whatever we're doing and get back to that person. And it's not a matter of, hi, Denise, how are you? It's, what do you need? What do you need? What's Mm -hmm. going on? Mm -hmm. And so that kind of a friendship and relationship, I think is so worthwhile, so valuable from a professional perspective. And as a, as a coach to you or you to me at different points in our careers. So it's a super relationship. Yeah. And, and this is the thing I don't think we talk enough about women in particular don't nurture long-term relationships where we're really friends and business advocates for each other. And, you know, you and I have talked a lot of, uh, a lot over the years that when it comes to finding jobs, a 70 to 80% of them are never advertised because people simply call the people they know and they seem to keep rolling in the same circles over and over with different companies in different ways. Men have been doing that for years and we call it the good old boy network and we've poo-pooed that. But I'm, I've gotten to the point now that because I have a cadre, a small cadre of women who we just keep doing this, say, hey, what are you doing? What do you need? Hey, can you come over here and help me? And can I help you? And that kind of thing. It just has turned into a, a really flourishing way in which you na- navigate and manage your career. And so I really want to bring that out because that is part of the managing the talent, not just from a company point of view, but for you as an individual. You know, one of the things I talked about when I was introducing you is you've been inside and you've been out. You've been inside, you've been out. And I think your career is like mine, inside and out, inside and out, is a prototype for how we need to think about and navigate our career. And companies need to rethink about how do you manage talent around that? So the first question I want to ask you is this in and out, in and out, in and out, what have you learned and and what tips can you give us about thinking about this in and out, in and out? Well, I have to give John Boudreaux, one of our colleagues, who's got a new book, a little beep here, because one of the things he said to me that makes the most amount of sense, and he said this to me when we were doing you know, pre-create, which we were both on that team, you and I, but pre-create, he talked about on a bus ride someplace, you know, we were going to some extravaganza at night. He talked about talent and jobs being like a movie set. Mm. You bring people in to work on your movie, the director or the producer or the talent cast, you know, and I don't know anything about the movies, but you bring a group of people in, mainly people that you've worked with before who also bring in the people they've worked before and you create this two or three year project because my understanding of the movie business is it takes a couple of years to get it going. Yeah. So you bring a group of people in and they do the work and then they all disperse. Mm -hmm. And I've thought about that so many times that when people start new spots inside or outside, they bring people in to help them do whatever the project is which is not, you know, a two month project. It's a two, three, four, five year project. Right. And then they might disperse or they might stay in something else or go right to something else with you. I think the inside and the outside and that kind of continuum of working together allows you to go in and look at what you've learned from the outside, you know, being a a voyeur, if you will, Mm -hmm. to other companies and be able to adapt that for what the internal page, the internal company needs at any point in time. 
I've loved being outside. People ask me that all the time. Well, what do you like better, outside or inside? Well, when you're outside, you have an opportunity to view a number of different methodologies. Yeah, yeah. X, yeah. Okay. When you're inside, you can bring all that knowledge that you've learned from the outside and really have impact in one place where you can see the fruits of your labor. And that to me is really the yin and yang of it. The Mm -hmm. real difference is having impact on the inside and having a voyeurism of many different ways of doing it on the outside. Make sense? Yes. Not only that, it, it also, you know, from a talent perspective, not just being the executive of a talent, but, you know, me thinking just for a minute about how I navigate my career out of this. We talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, but we always talk about it from a company's perspective, that it's the company's responsibility to be right. able to do that. And I'm not negating that a company doesn't have, you know, some responsibility in doing this, but it really behooves each and every one of us to really start thinking of ourselves as a company. Our network of people has to be diverse because that's where we wind up moving in and out of these spaces and places and doing the kind of work that we like. And that diversity really shows up, but we get past the the initial angst that happens when you bring new people, regardless of whether they're the same or they're not the same. But there's always that angst and that trust building and those first 10, 12, 14 weeks of getting together. What is it like here? What are the boundaries and the rules and all those other things. And so I think there's some applicability, not just from a company thinking about DEI, but as we begin to think about how our careers will progress, we should be thinking about how do we think about having a diverse community? Is it equitable in the way we meet people? Are we comfortable meeting different kinds of people, going different kinds of places? And then how do we manage and polish that that inclusion piece of, hey, you know what? We're a relationship. You know, you're Presbyterian, right? No, Catholic. Gotta Catholic, be sorry. <laughs> you can practice Catholic. <laughs> Chicago Democrat, the Catholic. Six one, so six foot, tall white woman with a funky hairdo. I'm a black woman about five, two, and I don't have anything. I mean, you know, my mother would kill me right now because I'm, you know, your Baptist girlfriend. But we've managed to navigate all through the years through all kinds of experiences. And as you look at your career, people need to be thinking about that. And I think it's important, you know, the the ideal to diversity, equity, inclusion. And you're right. You know, I, I stop at 25 years. I really think anything beyond, you know, before 10 is probably not relevant, especially mm-hmm. with all that's been coming at us in the last two years. Mm-hmm. I look at COVID as just an overlay of what we knew was coming for a long time. The baby yeah. boomers are retiring and with them is going the intellectual property. Mm-hmm. And so how do companies capture that intellectual property without letting those people go or making them go, which is worse? I think the last great piece, and I can say this because I'm a white woman, but I'm still a woman, is age bias. You know, that problem is going to be really problematic for us when all that intellectual property walks out the door. But but I do think that, you know, you and I have navigated through many things. I look at diversity, and I always did when I started my own firm looking at diverse slates of candidates, is diversity of view, certainly how you look, mm-hmm. but diversity of thought, how you mm-hmm. think. And I don't know of any industry, you know, you I get as a search person, oh, well, our industry is special. Well, this industry is special. And you wouldn't know if you're not coming out of this industry. They're all special and they all have idiosyncrasies, but they have the same consumer. Yeah. They have the same customer. 
And if their people, their organization doesn't look like what the customer looks like, yeah. you can't possibly know how that customer thinks. Yeah. And that's the that's the business case for diversity. Yeah. You have to look and sound and think like your customer, or you're going to miss the boat. You're going to be doing this. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going this way. They're going this way. Mm-hmm. Two ships the, in the night. Absolutely. One of the reasons I started my own firm and I didn't go to where I was recruited, which was two of the big, you know, the big five firms is because when I said, what are you doing about diversity? It was like a veil fell. They just mm-hmm. it was too early. They didn't want to talk about it. And I knew I had customers that were having trouble that they couldn't get enough women. in. you know, to me, diversity is anything that's not a straight white guy. Mm-hmm. And I'm married to a straight white guy. I like them too. And they mm-hmm. need to be part of the table. But it's not just straight white guys that buy whatever, whatever mm-hmm. it is you're selling. It's a diverse group of people. And that's why I'm so strong and have been a very strong advocate for 25 years of diversity in the marketplace, in business. Yeah. We keep singing the same song and it just gets to be, you know, it's the same mission. The landscape may change some, we evolve, we get to the next level. And in that, the next level looks like, so I I know you and I keep an eye, like (laughs) hawk on what's happening in the workplace, right? Right. And so there's two things that's coming. One, one I want to talk about is this whole idea of hybrid work where, you know, you're either remote or you're in the office or you're some semblance of both of those. But the other thing I want to talk about is California just announced, well, they've been working on it, but they've just announced that there's a, a serious bill in front of the legislature for four 10-hour days. And that's going to definitely change. And we're seeing... 15, 20 major tech-oriented, but also consumer-oriented companies entertaining this idea of four tens because it's an outgrowth of this hybrid workspace. Tell me what's your perspective on it and what are you hearing? Well, certainly it's being talked about mm-hmm. and it's being talked about more than just in California. Mm-hmm. And anytime there's change, it makes people nervous. It mm-hmm. just does. Mm-hmm. Hybrid makes people nervous because, of course, there's the argument among the conservative, always done it this way, uh, can't make changes. Why would we transition that people won't get promoted if they can't be seen? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if they don't come into the office, how will people know if they're always in their vision? You know, the vision is bunny slippers and sweats at home. How will people know how they react, respond? Well, we've proven in the last two years that you find out how people react and respond on Zoom. And you really find out how they respond when Zoom doesn't work. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so there's lots of ways to assess people's ability to deal with trauma <laughs> when the screen is blank. I understand the argument for that. I understand what we used to call in the, you know, in the late 80s, walking around, managing by walking around. Do you remember that? Yep. You'd you'd have managers or leaders or even your CEO walk Mm -hmm. around and stop at people's desks or stop in people's office. You'd have the other thing was hallway meetings. Remember? Oh, yeah. Water coolers. Right. Right. Things got decided in the hallway. Then there was, you know, the uprising from women. Well, a lot of things get decided in the men's room. Mm-hmm. Around the golf course where we don't play golf or we're not invited to play golf. So all these things, they're, they're not new. The arguments are just have relocated right. to, a different, to a different place. 
if you want to have a meeting with someone privately, you just don't pick up the phone anymore. You got to Zoom with them Mm because you got to see them. You Mm -hmm. have to Microsoft Teams with them. So that's changed. I think hybrid is here to stay. I personally think hybrid is here to stay. I think the the millennials, and it's not just the millennials, but the millennials will make it be that because they, in their minds, have proven to themselves that they can do their work, the majority of their work from home. And so they're not 22 coming out of college anymore. They've been in the workplace three, four, five, six, seven years already. Mm -hmm. And they've both been in the office and been at home, and they don't see a difference in their performance. Mm-hmm. Now, whether their senior leaders see a difference in their performance, I can't imagine they do because they would not have been promoted and mm-hmm. they're continuing to be promoted. So that's one piece of that. I think hybrid is here. I think it probably will move to you know two to three days. Best workers are going to work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Mm-hmm. The ones that really want to take off Monday and Friday are going to do it. But I, I think that's where it's going to be. I think it's where it's going to settle over the next maybe three to five years. Mm-hmm. The four-day work week is going to be impactful and difficult for a lot of people who have childcare issues, both men and women, and who have travel issues, both men and women. You now have, for the first time, more than 50% of the workforce is female, right? Yeah. Okay. So if your child is in daycare, usually daycare is open from seven to six. Those are Mm -hmm. most daycare facilities that are Mm -hmm. corporate daycare facilities. So then it's going to be how long, you know, nobody wants, I mean, I didn't want my child in daycare from seven to six. They usually were there from eight to six, but even eight to six is a long day for a little kid. Right, right. So I think it's going to have impact. Those 10 hour days are going to have impact on childcare. And that's why I'm not sure it's, I'm anxious to see how California is going to make that work. I I don't know. I I know about the daycare in terms of the longer day. Yes. But we're, you know, let's put it in context. So for the most part, those people who can, you know, what segment of the workforce can actually be in a hybrid workplace or, you know, particularly those, because those are going to be the ones that are probably gifted the most out of it. And so we're only talking about 40, 45% of the workplace period. Right. The ones I think you're talking about are those people who are in the other 60, which are are customer facing kinds of companies. So, you know, any service work, hospital work, those kinds of places where daycare has not always been their friend anyway, you know, around it. So that extra hours in the afternoon or the evening is going to be a problematic thing out of this. What does it do to the education system? What does it do to all the people that are teachers and administrators in schools? Mm-hmm. Uh, what does it do the, you know, to the infamous, you know, nine to three? Well, we all know teachers aren't there nine to three. Right. They're, they're from eight to five usually. Yeah. So they're doing additional work besides front end teaching, they're doing their additional work, their preparation, their administration. So there's lots of places, you know, what do you do with Pep Boys or Bloomingdale's Mm -hmm. employees? And what's going to happen there? Yes, we've moved off of people going into stores. And I tell you, one of the surprises for me is that Macy's had one of their best years. I was going to say that I think that's a bit of a 2021. Yeah. And and we have to rethink that because I don't think personally, I don't think the face to face, the brick and mortar is ever going to go away. Now, I think the size of it might change. I think there are obviously going to be some disruptive pieces about it, but that need to actually touch and put on clothes and then take it over to the, you know, I'm the kind of person that it doesn't matter what I buy. I got to take it to the tailor. You know, so I gave up years ago, you know, whatever my size is, 10, 12, is in the ishes area. You know? 
because I'm taking it someplace where I got to get it fixed. So I don't think that is, but I do think that we, what we're going to wind up with is brick and mortar retailers are going to have to rethink what that looks like. And for them, it actually, a, a 10 hour day might actually work out a little bit better um, in terms of being able to be there, get my hours in, but because they've always been notorious for shifting hours based on the number of people who come in uh, and volume in terms of what's in the store. And that model is going to have to change. It will change. And is it going to be, you know, the from the 90s or the early 2000s? Remember when there were many companies, and I don't know if they're still in existence, Remember when you used to go to a fashion party, you know, like a Tupperware party, except it'd be closed. And they had three samples, you know, in a six, a 10 and a 16. Mm-hmm. And you tried on one of those samples and then you ordered from that, mm-hmm. from that company and they did your tailoring for you, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? And so those home party kinds of things, they do it now for men's suits. They come into town. They say, I'm going to be in town for four days, come in for a fitting. Well, here's your fabric, you know? So there's lots of different different things to look at. I also think it's going to change. It it will change the way in which customers buy all different kinds of services. Yes. Not just retail, but all different kinds of services. One of the things I've, I've talked to people about is, you know, I've been in sales, pretty much sales, no matter what it is, I've been selling something my whole career. Mm -hmm. So the days of taking a trip to pick the city, Dallas, New York, LA, you know, Philly and entertaining customers with dinner invitations and selling at night to them. How amenable are people going to be if they've got a 10 hour workday? If they don't have a 10 hour workday, who wants to spend any of their time meeting for two hours over dinner with a sales rep? Because it's not mainly men that are doing the buying Mm -hmm. anymore. It's it's more than 50% women that are doing the buying how many people are going to want to do that? So the selling cycle and the way in which goods and services, mainly services, not goods, services have been sold, that will change too. Mm -hmm. And if you're working Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, if you're working a three, you know, a three-day work week, some kind of a hybrid, that selling cycle is going to be different. You're going to be not meeting for lunch or dinner. You're going to be meeting for coffees and you're going to be meeting at whatever location the person is and then you're getting on your plane and going home. Maybe. Then is it worth it for you even to go? Mm-hmm. Or is it better for you to do a Teams meeting or a Zoom meeting? I mean, the, the selling cycle and the way in which services are sold will be different. Now, you're still going to have consultants that have to come in and meet, you know, however many people. So the McKinsey's and the Bain's and the, and the Accenture's and the IBM's of the world are going to have to change too. Yeah. Because they'll have to be in. And they'll have to be in with people. But are the people that they need to be with in the office? Or are they on Zoom? You know, this whole idea of selling across Zoom is very interesting because I was meeting with someone, a fairly prominent company in their industry on it and with their salespeople trying to decide, you know, is this going to be the right service or not? And the thing that that irked me the most was them not turning on the camera. I, I guess I'm <laughs> in the sales, the whole sales process. And it was three, one, three half hour, you know, conversations, not once did any of the salespeople turn their camera on. So there's this whole idea of how hybrid work actually works. And what does that mean in the process and for training and development and talent management, all of those kinds of things like that. I think it's, I, I agree with you fully that we, as business people, we have to look at this from a whole different lens 
of what are the processes that are being put in place, regardless of what happens in California, because right. companies are independently across the nation going and looking at this idea of how do we have, you know, four tens or, you know, on this and giving people this time off because we now know what it looks like. You've just coined a phrase there that people talk about all the time, giving people time off. Mm -hmm. That's not what hybrid is. Mm -hmm. And I maintain uh, for myself, it's a lot. I hate working from home. I hated working from home when I even had my own business and I had an office. It was the first thing I did because I put people in an office and I had to be in an office. So before COVID, I was working from home this time around having my business. I've never liked it. Mm -hmm. but I've adapted to it, but you're working all the time. This brings up the, the new thing of where are the boundaries for work and home? If you're working five days a week and three days a week in the office, well, you know, when you're in the office, you're taking meetings, you're having meetings, you're making calls. When you're at home, you're thinking, okay, let me just fling in, man or woman doesn't make a difference. Let me fling in this load of laundry at 6 a.m. And by the way, I've got to be on my London calls between five in the morning and 10 in the morning, because then I start my regular day in the US. And so I've got to be on the phone from 10 in the morning until maybe eight at night, because I got to deal with the people on the West Coast too. So where are the boundaries that, yeah. that, that executives put together? And it's not just executives, it's the IT guys or women that are dealing with different timeframes. They're dealing with Asia. You know, I have a daughter that's in B school and she said, I really feel sorry for the people from China that are calling in on these Zoom classes that we're having. And it's three o'clock in the morning for them. Yeah. I mean, talk about turning everything on its ear so that, you know, the boundaries around hybrid, mm -hmm. there are no boundaries. You know, no, we haven't established and, and particularly, you know, who's who's going to wind up navigating and helping to design those kinds of workplace boundaries, because that, I think there's a, a, a real skill in being able to do that. It's not just you can't have a person, you know, I think about, you know, HR folks and I think about business people, you know, kind of coming together to have this conversation. But, you know, this navigation, the, the you know, when I started in HR, we had to learn the ergonomics of a job, the whole time motion, all of that kind of stuff. I mean, literally, how yeah. long did it take? Was it safe? You know, how does this look? How do you design a job? Now, you know, you kind of go to the Sherm website, pull down a job description, give it to a manager. And that's kind of what I see. That's um, your base. Now, yeah. now you add to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you add to you it. Know, okay. But what we're talking about now is truly redesigning what the workplace does. And that is a specific skill that I don't think people are paying attention to. I maintain that one of the top master's programs you can be in, I, I don't care where I'm not advocating anyway, is OD. Mm -hmm. Because designing the organization for what it's going to look like in the future and what it is right now. Yeah. I mean, people are digging through all, all the old OD books, trying to figure out how does the structure fit the strategy? Mm -hmm. If you start with the strategy, this is what the CEO and the board agree how we need to move forward, right? Mm -hmm. That's what strategy is, how we're mm -hmm. moving forward. Mm -hmm. So that's what the strategy is. And the structure is somewhere in there. Yeah, topsy-turvy, because yeah. the structure was for the, the way the strategy was and the way we worked. But because we haven't yet established, and we can't, you know, Philadelphia, at least in this time, Philadelphia is filling up with another COVID attack. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And I maintain that, you know, whenever we have this podcast put forth, somebody else will be in that. It's not done. It's just mm-hmm. how do we live with it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and manage change, because as you started, as we started this call or this podcast, the whole idea is we, you know, we really don't like change. We want to have it. And, and I'm not sure it's that we don't like change as much as what we don't like is uncertainty. Yes. Ambiguity. Yeah. So people talk about agile workforces, you know, agile was ad nauseum. I didn't yeah. want to hear anybody more being agile and having ag- agility training, mm-hmm. but it's ambiguity. It's, it's constant movement and not showing, you know, not certain where it's coming from. You know, I've, you and I've talked about this for years. I have what I call the big five, the ability to articulate a bit. This is what I think leaders, all leaders need any mm-hmm. walk of life, any mm-hmm. industry. Mm-hmm. The ability to articulate a vision and get people to march into hell to follow it. Mm-hmm. The ability to drive financial results through teams of people, because I don't make the numbers myself. I make them with teams of people. Right. The ability to manage change. And that's all kinds of change, economic change, industry change, healthcare changes, all the things that are coming at us, flying at us in the last two years. So that ability to handle, maintain, and deal with change, transformation, act as a change agent, be able to lift your people up to get them to move and follow that vision. You know, the ability to develop people, because I don't think it's ever been more important than it has now. Years ago, we used to talk about bringing people up. Well, now I'm developing the people below me, but I'm developing the people that are sideways from me, my Mm -hmm. colleagues, as well as developing, you know, the top of the house. If I'm not helping the guy above me or the woman above me or the CEO or the board to see things differently, I'm not doing my job. And of course, to be doing it with ethics and integrity, because as my father used to say, if you're not doing that, you're in the soup, get out, you know, mm-hmm. it's not going to mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. So those five things I think are absolutely ever present right now. How are you going to make money, which is, you know, I'd love it that we were all Jesuits doing it for the glory of God, but we're not, we're doing <laughs> it to make money. So to make money, you have to look at the customer, the consumer, what is it that they want? And how do we give them what they want and charge them for it? Yeah. Yeah. What's appropriate out of doing that? Correct. So, so here's the question for the audience here. You just heard these five things. Where do you stand in terms of these five things? So just rate yourself high, medium, low out of it. And where do you need to dig in? Because that's where you're going to figure out how to close the gap. This has been wonderful. Know that, you know, Debbie and I are going to be back on this again every month. So please look for us every month having these deep conversations, feel free to send a message to us so that we can even entertain your questions. So with that, if you don't know what I'm going to say, listen closely, share it with your friends. (laughs) If you don't like it, share it with your friends, because I guarantee it will be a conversation that will help you close the gap to figure out those things that you need to do step-by-step, small steps consistently done over time that will help you close the gap to get to the goals that you want to have the life you want, and to have the business that you need. With that, it's a wrap. See ya. That's a wrap. And I'm Denise Cooper, and you've been listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Let me thank my good friend, Ivan G. Hall, for the background music. I'd like to ask you to do three things. One, if you liked it, share it with your friends. Let's build up our community. Two, subscribe so that you don't miss when a new episode drops. 
And lastly, if you've got a question or a comment, leave it below. I'd love to hear what you thought was good, what I could do better, and what topics you'd like to hear about. Let me thank my guests one more last time. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye.